Thank you for joining XROM, which is India's first AR VR focus podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Mr. Phil Galler, who's the co-president of Laksh Makina Consulting, the company behind the real-time virtual production of The Mandalorian and many more. So Phil, really appreciate you taking time, being part of the podcast and, you know, sharing your insights on virtual production. I mean, that's the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So, so why don't we start with a brief introduction on who you are and a little bit about uh, Lakshmakanna Consulting. Yeah, thanks, and and really appreciate you having me. Eddie. This is super cool. So yeah, so um, my name is Philip Galler. Um, I was one of the original founders of Lakshmakanna. We started the business in oh, know, almost a decade ago now, and um, uh, it was centered around um, uh, using large screens like projection and LED displays to create. Um, backgrounds for um, uh, movies. So before we did real-time work, we used to do um, what we call pre-rendered work. So we put up driving plates, we put up scenes of big vistas and skies and environments that were static or, or moving but didn't have a tracked camera component. Um, and we'd, um, we'd use those outside windows of spaceships and aircraft and um, homes to create, um, you know, set extension basically. Um, and we also do um, quite a bit of broadcast work, and um, so we work on award shows, and we work on corporate events, and we work in um, live events, and um, a bunch of consulting is where the name came from. Um, and um, yeah, we kind of cross the, the boundaries between technology and creative and hope that we can um, empower people to tell better stories, right, and to give people the ability to use technology in a way that um, enables them to be, I think, more free with their narrative and free to make choices um, on the day. It's more than 100 years, you know, I mean, from your black and white to, you know, everything is evolved. You know, it's not just the, the, from the black and white to color to your IMAX now. Even the audio is evolved, you know, from being silent to mono to stereo to Dolby to 5.1 to going to spatial ambisonic sound. So the journey has been super awesome. And now we are like almost going to be breaking or, uh, 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 you know, go beyond the 2D medium because so far all, all the medium has been 2D, you know, and, and it's been very passive, you know, that, that it's never been interactive because you, find, you sit in front of the TV or the theater or even a mobile, it, it's, it's quite passive. But, you know, with tools such as AR, VR, MR, we, we're going to be jump diving into the next spatial computing what we're building you know the web 3.0 and, and the metaverse and and so we're going into an exciting space so let, let's break this down because i mean you know you 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 uh, uh you said you largely do consulting you have done works across some of the, the best films in the world uh, you have done broadcast work you, you've done award works so so for for my audience who don't really know what virtual production is Let's let's break that down and make them understand. Uh, you know, so maybe we can start from there. We think of virtual production as just actual regular production. So for us, um, any element of production can have a virtual component, and a virtual component is just a something something digital, right? Something that comes from the CG or an element that is um, a composite onto the real world. So it's um, a way for us as production, you know, production staff and production crew and creatives to utilize sort of this uh, sort of like you're saying with the metaverse and web 3.0 right it's like is, is this level of interactivity on top of the real world and it represents a merging of um 
the real world and the story we're trying to tell in a way that hopefully becomes more tangible, right? So a good example would be, um, probably the easiest example I think is a virtual camera, right? And a virtual camera in essence is this idea that we can use a normal camera to peer into um, our created world, right? So we go ahead and we create a bunch of virtual digital assets, right? Just regular computer graphics. Um, and then we're able to portray that in a normal camera setting so that a director, a cinematographer, um, production designers, you know, um, can peer through that camera lens and see the art that was made and where it would be represented in the real world. And it's sort of that, that blending of the, um, the virtual and the physical, right, that I think really is a standout feature of virtual production. It's the combination and the compositing of the real with the virtual, with the digital assets. Um, and, you know, digital asset really at, at its core is just a 3D object that's made um, um, for many purposes. Some reason, uh, you know, some are made as previous elements um, and they never go any further. Some are made as storytelling elements only, right? And they make it through um, into some of the screen work, um, but are replaced in post-production. Um, and some digital assets are made at the very beginning of the film and carry all the way through into post-production. And so um, we think about digital production and virtual production, it really scales um, or is on the spectrum from really pre-production all the way through to post-production. And there's these touch points of, of where the physical and the virtual meet um, across that spectrum that I think are the definition of what we think of as virtual production. It's really just the moment in time in which we use tools to combine the virtual and physical and then see both things in, in combination that, and that allow us to hopefully make better decisions, right? Um, and, and more creative decisions about what it is um, we wanna be doing. And then I think, you know, as we look at the future, right? Metaverse, we see um, more and more of that composite becoming permanent, right? And that at some point, instead of just viewing through a V-cam, right? We're viewing through holographic glasses and we're viewing through augmented reality headsets. And um, at some point that, that merger of the physical and the virtual becomes somewhat permanent. And that sort of redefines the human experience because we can have this layer of information and digital graphics and virtual, you know, um, sort of virtualization on top of the physical world. And that's sort of like the, right, the holy grail of storytelling is that we can tell stories in any format, any way, anywhere that are completely immersive. Um, and that, you know, uh, I think, I don't remember who said the famous quote, right? But like, the technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? You shouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two and that, right? It's that concept, right? That, like at some point here, we get to a point where the art is so believable and the technology is so believable, but they also work together so seamlessly, right? That we're able to redefine the human experience with not just ourselves, but with others. Lovely, yeah. So, so I, I think, you know, this transition or this push towards digitization is, is, is so awesome because it's kind of democratizing things, you know, because I've been vested in audio production. I, I started in the days, you know, when there were these pools, you know, uh, four track recorders, audio recorders, you know, the spool machines, beta tapes, and then it, it graduated from there to digital audio workstation. It went to, you know, Pro Tools, Novendo and stuff like that. And, and the life became so much simpler. You know, you didn't have need a mixing board, you know, like a 12 channel, 36 channel, 86 channel, 100 channel mix, mixers. You know, you're not, right now you just need two outs and that's it. And you can composite all those 100 tracks out directly in, into two tracks. I think the same thing is happening with video. You 
you know these offline earlier there was these uh, offline uh, uh, suits which was super expensive you know i mean your and now that that's that's the that that's becoming more and more accessible and there are there are these gaming engines which is kind of democratizing how you can create content but that one side is that you need to be a little more uh, technical over there because you need to understand a little bit of coding i see like a constant tug of war because you know there's this two field you know because there's one side there's your john for favreau and james cameron who are who are really leveraging this tool and then there's these other side of filmmakers you know christopher nolan lana wachowski who who like to go analog and and where do you think the future of filmmaking is going is this like the the analog and digital the, the physical and digital is going to go tilt more towards digital uh, yeah, and let's talk about maybe like 10, five years 10 years down the line you know because you've been so vested in the space it's a really interesting discussion, but it may not matter, right? So part of the beauty, right, of filmmaking is that people get to choose how they want to make it, right? And it's this medium that can be expressed in many ways. And it, some people are going to lean into the digital and the virtual productions of it. Some people are going to find that they're able to tell their stories better or to really um, access the emotions of the viewers in a more tangible way by doing something physical and in camera, right? And Everybody's a different way of working. I think, you know, there's the there's the what do they do on the day, and then there's the back end of it all, right? The post production of it all. I think there's an inevitable business that will have to come from virtualizing or digital digital production in post production, virtual production in post production, and in pre production, right? And even in preparing practical cinematographers and director teams for doing the stuff that they're going to do in camera that's physical can still use virtual assets um, in a, in a pre-visualization way. And I think that um, what we'll find is that it may not be that on the day, like on the actual shooting day, people are using virtual production, but maybe they've gotten there through the use of virtual production because they want to be able to know where do they need to compose their physical set pieces? Where do they need to have their physical actors? Where are they going to put their physical lights? And I think what we're finding is that things like pre-vis, tech-vis, um, you know, uh, uh, vcam work simulcam work that all gives us um better framing for the story we want to tell whether or not we use them when we're in situ or not is almost immaterial because i think we have no choice but to use those things in pre-production largely because it's a business right it's got to run faster it's got to run more efficiently and, and virtual production effectively does all those things by amortizing the assets across multiple steps of production by democratizing the process and yes you've got to be more technical but i think the people who are you know in and i think the barrier for technology comes down over time um uh, just even generationally people younger generations generally have more experience of these things so they're born into it um so i think long term we get we get to that level but i think it doesn't need to actually change necessarily um what's tangibly done during a, a shooting day right it can still be that people pick up a film camera like a real film camera and actually go out and shoot real film to make the story that they want to make and that's the way they feel like it has to be communicated um and so in my mind it's less of a tug of war between like tape versus digital which was about the technology of the shooting work and it's more about how do we use this technology to enable people to make the thing they want to make even if they're not going to use it while they're making actively making it but they're doing it in the run-up and the the post part of it that's how I view it anyways. Fair enough, completely. So, so you know, you 
have been vested in the space you've done some of the biggest films in the world why don't you share some of the experiences of the content that you you have built and you know how you have, you have leveraged these these tool and, and talk to us about volume production you know moving from green screen to led also so our first real led so one of our first big what I'll call large canvas production was Oblivion. And it was this movie with Tom Cruise about, a, well, I think it came out a decade ago, a little over a decade ago now. Um, um, and, um, or we worked on it a decade ago. And um, it was really cool. It was a good use of um, large scale projection technology. So traditional traditional um, um, projector technology, it wasn't laser projectors, it was sort of DLP, old DLP projectors from, from Barco. And, um, um, it was a really good use case of a set that needed a solution that was going to be more affordable, right? So this was was actually driven largely by affordability. Um, the show had something like um, 1,600 VFX shots it needed to have done, and we, we were able to carve out about 800 of them, um, which cut the number of VFX shots in half for the movie by using um, projection technology. Um, and a lot of the work that was going to be done was reflections and there was a lot of water on the set and there was a lot of glass and chrome and all the stuff. It was really difficult to relight paint. And so by using projection, we were able to get to a point where we could avoid having to do a lot of that work in post. So that sort of set off this, um, I mean, it was the genesis of Lux, but it was also this idea that there was probably a better way to do production um, that utilized technology to maybe reduce the workload of post, but also give people back Sort of like you're saying this tug of war, but get, sort of give people back the ability to make decisions in situ um, about what they were doing, and that was the idea of moving away from green screen, right? Is that like, okay, we're not just looking at a giant void of green, which is what the other option for the show was, and that would have been extremely expensive um, to fix in post because of the chrome and the water and all this stuff. But more importantly, it wasn't, um, it didn't give anyone the information they needed, right? Like no one knew where the clouds were, no one knew where the sun was, no one knew where the moon was. There were some spaceships, there was some some orbital destruction stuff that was out in the distance and the actors needed to respond to that, right? Um, and so for this, the genesis of, of this storytelling um, and the need to help people tell their stories better was that we realized that the actors actually were the ones who benefited the most from this, right? There's this idea that it's, about the backgrounds and it's about the foregrounds and it's about the lighting and the reflections and all this stuff and everybody's got their own sort of idea of what what's the most important for us it was the fact that we were seeing that the actors for the first time felt like they were actually in a place and for for a decade they've been standing in green right they've been standing in green and blue and they were able to do really really impressive things in green or blue environments but they, it was um a lack of depth and emotion in their performances because even though they were really convincing you still didn't believe it as an audience because they weren't really responding to anything as actors, right? Um, so that was sort of the start for us. And then um, that got to, that was projection. And then um, in 2012 or 13, we worked on a movie called Tomorrowland, which was a Disney project. And that's where we utilized some of the first fanless LEDs. Up to that point, a lot of the problem with LED had been that LED walls had large fans in them. So they were very noisy, um, you know, heat sinks and stuff like that. Um, and so we, we use a fanless LED and it was an 11 millimeter LED. So really low resolution for, the, um, for now anyways. And, um, and that worked really well. Um, it was a really, really good opportunity to um, explore some really interesting technologies such as spherical reprojection of, um, onto LED services, um, uh, which is one of the first times that had been done um, for anything. And one of the first times, I think the first time it had ever been done for a movie 
Um, and we realized that um, we could actually start to blend visual effects technologies and playback technologies for broadcast shows. Um, you know, in visual effects, we're used to using HDRIs, right, to relight stuff all the time. And these usually come as, uh, you know, 360 degree uh, panospheres in some fashion, right? And so we're actually able to use those and reproject them into static LED walls, right? And so this is sort of this beginning of this idea that we could take stuff that was in the VFX pipeline already and, and reuse it. Um, and so that got us to a place where we were starting to do that a lot, right? And then it got into, well, let's do this for vehicles. Like, why aren't we just doing this for vehicles, right? At this point, we, we, we've we got this to the point where only people who have a couple million dollars can spend, you know, a couple million dollars on, on, on lighting gags, right? And that's what it had been. And then it was around the House of Cards era with Dave Fincher, um, where um, we started designing um, systems for vehicles specifically. And at first it was just reflections. And then um, it became good enough um, that technologically that we were able to do uh, out, out car windows, believable. First it, first it was projection out car windows, then it was LED out car windows. And that got us about 2015, 2016, where you see the likes of Gravity, you see the likes of um, Orient Express, um, uh, you see the likes of First Man, Solo, Rogue One, um, all, and this sort of increasing cadence, and, and you see this cadence um, goes in hand in hand with the, um, I think the increase in quality of technology, but also um, the uh, sort of like this podcast, right? The education, the outreach, right? The ability to bring people into the technology. And it's why it's why these, these forums are so important for all, everybody is that um, lowering that bar to accessibility and lowering the bar of difficulty and lowering the bar of understanding means that more people can engage with the technology um, and ultimately, that's actually what all the volume production is about, right? It's about giving people back the idea that they can control something, um, they can do it in real time, and, and hopefully in a way that's natural to them. So we're reducing the barrier of entry, we're reducing the barrier of complexity, and we're giving people back control from what they had in the 80s, right? Before blue screen and green screen, um, the ability to actually do the work that they wanted to do would just go out into these fantastical environments and, and make really cool decisions. And so from a volume production point of view, as we get into Mandalorian, what you see is, is actually a, a bit of a misconception. I think there's there's this perceived notion that um, the solution was intended to solve for backgrounds, right? You know, we got these beautiful backgrounds in camera. And that was part of it. Um, a lot of it was also reflections and lighting, right? And it's so hard to redo really, really beautiful lighting and really, really beautiful reflections are really, really difficult to do in visual effects, right? And they're costly. Um, there's only a handful of people in the world that do it at the highest levels. It requires many layers of visual, visual effects production technology, um, you know, uh, and it's difficult, right? And, um, and it's an art form, right? And I think this was the opportunity to give, um, not remove the art form from the visual effects lighter's hands, but to give the art form back to the people who were already making a lot of the lighting decisions, which was the cinematographers, right? They were already standing in front of, of sets going, add this light here, put a flag here, put some diffusion here, put gel here, you know? And um, they were really responsible for crafting that, right? That lighting. And this was giving them another tool um, to do it. And I think for us, that's what we realized is that volume production, um, I think right now everybody looks at it and goes, oh, it can be used for everything. But it's really not, right? It should be the right tool for the right job. There's a lot of times where it doesn't work right um, or doesn't work the way it needs to. And we should be looking at it as another tool to use in telling the story that we want to tell. I think oftentimes um, when you think you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And um, a lot of a lot of production is treated that way. And fortunately, it's really difficult to do that with volumes because people, um, and this is part of the education process for everybody is, 
takes a lot of time to get into a volume in a prepared way um, in that um, you've got to do pre-production. You've got to do your pre-base. You've got to build all your assets ahead of time. You've got to have an understanding of what it's like to go into that location. And, and that's how we treat it very much. We treat all these sets um, like their locations, right? We tell people when you're going into a space, pretend like you're going into a redwood forest, right? You wouldn't show up in the redwood forest on the day not have done any scouts and decide that you're going to move all the trees around. Cause like we'd all get in trouble, right? We'd all get fired. We showed up in the day, told the UPM, the director, oh, we need to come back in a couple of weeks. We've got to move all these trees around. Right. And so what we like to do is say, no, like do the tech scouts ahead of time, but do them virtually. Right. Or you know, there's other ways to do them. If you don't want to engage with them virtually, like, you know, use a, a, an artist to navigate um, those environments with you. Think about what you would do in the real world, frame things up through a camera, look through that camera and understand, what you're going to get on the other side so that as you're using the tool, you're making decisions about two things. A, um, what you don't need control of, which is such an important element of it, is like, what am I not going to want to touch? What do I want to lock in right now? Because like, you would make that decision about the real outdoors. You wouldn't, you would go to the Redwood Forest and go, okay, half these trees don't need to move, but I really am going to need to move this on the day. Like, let's figure out how to do that. And that's a conversation we have, we should be having. It's like, okay, how do we move this tree virtually on the day? How do we change the sunlight in a way that gets me to magic hour or, or how do we add that second sun because this world has a second sun in it and we need to think about how it affects the shadows on all these trees and um and those are the conversations i think when we talk about volume production they're so important that people um people kind of gloss over and they think about the um they think about the technology a lot right they think about the led and what kind of camera tracking and what kind of unreal engine system is it and ultimately like that stuff's important but it should melt away in light of being able to to, to engage in a way with the volume itself that is a tool and not a means to just using cool technology and actually there's a, a you know yes uh some of our experiences one of the experiences I'll, I'll share is we just had a film um which actually shot on real film a gentleman named uh, actually uh, eddie alcazar who um uh, just showed a, his piece off a vandal at cans um and it did really well at cans and what was really interesting about it is that we actually shot it in a really small led volume actually the one in our office where we did the sigraph demo so 30 feet across and like 10 feet high, right? Tiny. And we actually used a combination of miniatures um, and real um, sized actors um, combined with miniature environments to shoot against LED. And it was really, really convincing because we were in a position where all of a sudden we're blending these really, really interesting techniques of filmmaking, right? We were first off, we're on film, which is uh, you know a rarity these days, on real film, um, but we're using miniatures. Um, and then we're also using real life um, actors and we're combining the two in a really interesting way. And I think that piece is a, a great example of how to um, utilize the tools you want to make the film you want without letting the technology um, get in the way of doing it. You opened up so many interesting things, you know, I mean, yes, I mean, no matter what technology or tool that you have, the homework never goes out, you know, you need to, you know, be sure about it, run through all the uh, this thing and then then go in, and do it. And, and, and yes, I, I guess, this is in such a nascent stage. I think everybody is kind of figuring out the grammar of where this is going to go, you know. And I think maybe in the next... And yes, it's got so many problems. You mentioned that LED panels earlier used to be quite noisy and right now it's so very expensive, you know. I mean, to have, you know, have them. So eventually, I guess maybe like how... 
you know these independent filmmakers are able to leverage just a, a green cloth and, and shoot content which is like you know world standard you know with like even normal cameras i think maybe technology is doing that it's giving you the opportunity for those really visionary creative and out there uh, uh content creators the tool to you know go ahead and create content without being you know bounded because uh, eventually i guess once this is accessible and available for everyone i think the, the, the content creation would be so awesome because even right now you know i mean I, at least from my perspective i am seeing that post covid you know your theaters are not so relevant i'm not saying that it's going to go out because but i feel that people are going to go out and see like really big movies they'll go to theater because it's a great way to you know meet up socialize but you know people are moving to ott platforms you know and and digital content so there's this and besides that i think content creators you know there was these earlier you need huge cameras and you know editing softwares audio editing softwares but right now i think you can do it in basic basic thing as long as you you are really good now there there are some fantastic content creators who are pushing the boundary of short form content on your tiktok and instagram and, and it's 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 you know it, it blows your mind that you know there are these amazing quality content creators out there who are like really pushing the boundary now imagine if they have this tool what the content is going to look like and imagine if there is artificial intelligence you know where it's going to help you and there's virtual reality the end so i i am like an excited kid of what the future of content is going to look like would you like to talk about some since you uh, you have a consulting play would you like to talk about some clients who have like really pushed you to to the boundaries and pushed you to you know do something which you thought was impossible but yeah absolutely and I'll, what i'll say also is i kind of I, i completely agree with you right is i i look at this as um you know we saw when people started to get camera phones right they started to make content in new ways and all of a sudden there was a flood of content right and there was too much content at first because there's everyone's got a, a phone and is taking videos of every stupid thing right but eventually we got down to a bunch of really really extremely well curated you know and sure there's still a lot of nonsense out there but there's a lot of really really talented people actually using these devices to make really really impactful content right especially not only in the independent scene but on the uh, on, on really emotional topics like you know economic disparity and um abuse and um, um and mental health and i think these have become really really important narratives of our lifetime right we see um war torn countries where a decade and 20 years ago we wouldn't be able to hear stories right from the ground and now we're able to actually in many cases see what's happening and um you know reach out and bridge uh, i think gaps with communities that we never would have interacted with you know 20 or 30 years ago and i think for me that's super important is that we've given through technology and hopefully through um, this technology as well access to people who not only felt like they couldn't tell the story they wanted to tell before but i think it's also important that there are people who who couldn't tell stories at all before and now are able to tell stories and we've given them a voice and i think that's super important to what everyone's trying to achieve right it's just the ability to have agency and the ability to have voice so that's you know just listening to you talk i i i totally i i echo what you say um so yeah with regards to clients who push us really far um um person foremost uh, uh industrial light and magic has been a great partner over the years um they've uh, 
um, push the envelope of this technology um, in, in a way that I think has been really exciting for us and is, has pushed us to keep up in many cases, right? Um, you know, as an independent smaller studio, it, it's, um, you know, it's difficult to compete with large VFX houses who have the, you know, serious capital behind them. Um, but it, it's meant that we have to be a little bit different. We have to be a little more agile. We have to be a little more ingenious about how we come up with our systems and how we staff our shows. And I think um, their push at technology has enabled our business to push at our agility and our ability to pivot. And I think that's something that's super important in the modern era of business, right? Is the ability to change direction very quickly. Uh, on a show with Apple right now, um, and um, we're doing stuff that if you had asked me two or three years ago if certainly we as a business would be able to do, I would have told you there's no way. And now I'm six months into a show going, man, this is really cool. And like, it works, right? Like it's worked pretty much every single day for six months. And I think we've had one day of downtime in that six months, um, which when you think about, you know, production across the board, shooting 12 hours a day. And we've gotten to a point where the systems are reliable enough, the hardware is good enough, the software is good enough that we're able to really do some really, really amazing stuff. And in a, uh, you know, we're shooting on multiple volumes at once concurrently with multiple teams with different levels of um, goals that we're trying to achieve. And that's what's really fascinating to me is that um, there's a fluidity between the volumes. That's for one show, um, fluidity between the volumes um, that has enabled us to go from photorealism just to previs to um, we're going to do some look dev and we're going to do some photogrammetry and we're going to do it all in the volumes. And um, it's given production, I think, a, a vast array of tools. And a lot of this, the, the show is based in the volumes because of the work that it involves. Um, and um, the studio has really pushed, um, really given us the, the trust, like really trusted us with uh, the ability to execute. I think that's what it takes, right? It just takes trust and partnership. And I think in this case, like the trust has been really, um, really good. Like we trusted that, uh, you know, they, they were going to have a, a great show and a good team of directors, of course, which they did. And, and they trusted us to execute this really complex technological thing and hopefully remove the burden of technology from the show, which I'd, I'd like to think that we've done. Um, I also think the other group that's pushing us um, is Netflix. Netflix is such a, a good um, proponent of all this stuff, man. They, uh, you know, from their end labs, which are interactive lab spaces where people get to interface with technology in it way that helps them um, um, interface tangibly with things like VCAM and augmented reality and LED and, and in a small space that's like um, a safe space almost, right? Like we don't have to worry about, oh, they spent a million dollars on something that doesn't work, right? And it's, again, that education and that outreach are so important. I think Netflix is, you know, um, in many ways, they're, they push the boundaries of technology, but not because they do it themselves but because they enable their filmmakers to do it. And I think when you're enabling the storytellers and giving the storytellers the tools and removing their um, their stress, like you, you put the insurance policy in place that allows them to do the work that they wanna do and let them know it's okay to occasionally fail, which like is how we all got here. Like we've all failed a million times, right? Um, I fail regularly and like, I just you just gotta learn from that. And I think Netflix has really enabled their storytellers to take risks, um, but they've also pushed in the thing that is so important is education and community outreach. And that's really where I think they're pushing boundaries is like, in my mind, they're the first studio that's really done, actively gone out and done panels about how to do education, actively had education in-house, actively had education for their filmmakers externally and internally. And I think that's a huge part of pushing the boundaries is like getting people familiar with the fact that there's new things out there that they can try to do.
I had the opportunity to interview Vicky Dobbs uh, on the show. And yeah, I mean, there's so many exciting things happening. You know, I mean, it's it's not just the, the big production houses, but, you know, the entire, you know, the content creators, even the individual content creators, I have, have an opportunity because of this technology. You know, there's something called NFTs and eventually you'll be able to kind of monetize your content. So it's an exciting space that we are getting into. You also have done broadcast, you know, for MTV Awards, Golden Globe Awards and stuff like that. Where do you think the events are going? You know, there is this, the reason I ask this is because, you know, besides your physical events, you know, there's this metaverse happening and there's virtual event because of covid uh, you know there, there was uh, on uh, fortnight i mean travis performed with millions of audience where is it going what do you think the future of events is, is going to look like yeah it's a it's a it's a such a fascinating topic right now isn't it right um is where does this all head um so there's two things right one is i think uh aiml is the future right like there's no version of the future where we're not powered by machine learning and some some artificial intelligence of some kind right like experiences the technology behind experiences the creative behind experiences will be completely driven by the use of machine learning algorithms in the next 10 years that's truly my belief um uh like i i'm a firm believer that we're actually in a cadence in the visual effects industry right you see you see uh everything being done with projection in the 50s and 60s and then you see the rise of cg and computer graphics right and then you see the rise of led because we get a significantly better looking environments and i think we actually see in the next five years um maybe it's the 10 years is the the next roller coaster right is actually a reduction in the use of led and it's a, a massive increase um in the use of machine learning algorithms to actually create cg much more quickly and actually do the lighting properly right and um, that's the biggest thing right there's this uncanny valley that we talk about right it's people's faces so there's also this uncanny valley um, it's sort of we talk about internally, which is the uncanny valley of lighting, right? And when you're trying to have a conversation with someone through what I think is the next human experience, which is sort of this holographic experience, right? Where um, whether it's light field displays or it's some other type of um, uh, holographic perception, um, um, you, if you're talking to someone you know and you believe that they're in an environment that you also know, if the lighting doesn't look right, you don't believe what you're seeing, right? And I think that what we get to is a point where machine learning understands that and understands the facets of human communication in a way that can be transmitted more easily than what we're currently doing, which is, you know, trying to stream in lots of data about people across the internet. And that's really difficult. You see um, people like Paul Debevec, right? And the work he's done at Google um, before he went to Netflix with regards to some of the light field work and communicating long distances and the ability to condense that information into something that's transferable over a network is, um, is I think is a hugely crucial element of the future. But I also believe with that becomes the alternate, which is it's all virtual and we just all have avatars, right? The metaverse of it all. But to get to the metaverse and that I believe is photo real um, and they're not even photo real, like the photo realism almost doesn't matter. What matters is that we believe it. Whether it's photo real or not, we just have to believe it. Um, and this is a metric that we use all the time on set, like walk up to a camera, um, you know, monitor. And like, if I can look at the monitor and I can believe it, I'll walk away. If I look at the monitor and I go, I don't believe this, it needs to get fixed, right? And that's how people are going to view it at home. And sure, I'm, we're probably more perceptive than most because like we spend our, all of our time collectively, right, looking at monitors. But I think the idea is that in the metaverse, right, we we will see the rise of AIML as a solution for creating content more efficiently and more effectively, but also better, 
better content, more realistic content, more believable content. Um, and we'll see this dip, right? The LED stuff's gonna be around for five years. That's gonna be huge and maybe 10 years. And at some point, the next cadence is definitely AIML taking over and simply because like, it'll be able to do it faster and more efficiently, but also potentially be able to do it in real time in front of you, right? Right now, uh, part of the challenge with LED walls, right, is we have to have them. <laughs> if we could go out into the environment and we could point a camera at a subject and uh, uh, in extremely low latency way, a machine learning algorithm could remove the background, digitally relight that person with the environment. How that we've cool already would built. that be? <laughs> <laughs> that would be really cool, right? And I, that to me, that's where we're headed. Like it's inevitable, and it's just a matter of time, right? And I think for me, this is the this is the ethos, right? Exactly of like where we're going, right? Um, and that's what we're looking at. And then the next hill we see, right, is we see that happening, right? And then we see sort of like the tug of war you you asked about earlier. We see this this cadence of people then wanting to go back to actually being doing stuff tangibly, right? So we see is um, light field displays actually taking over from LED wall um, uh, about 15 years from now, 20 years from now, are people gonna afford them when the prices come down? So we see light field displays taking over from, or being combined with AI ML, right? The content being made um, through machine learning and being displayed holographically on light field displays. Um, and then we're not worried about how many cameras do we track? What's the limitation of the number of cameras? What's the limitation of the number of people? What are the artifacts we see? It's just this hopefully sort of holy grail display technology, right? In that we um, are able to see any perspective um, and, and, and believe any perspective. And I think that is the next probably 15 to 20 years of, of the visual effects industry. But I think the metaverse is somewhere intertwined between all those things, right? It's the Metaverse is the light field display, right? It's the belief that we can all stand in one place and see different perspectives of something combined with the machine learning that happens over the next 10 to 15 years that enables us to look at something and believe that it's real, even when it's not. And of course, a lot of this has two sides, right? There's the dystopian future of advertising where we're got supplanted advertising that's totally believable. We can't discern between reality and advertising, which is definitely inevitable as well. Um, but part of this is also the ability to talk to our grandparents um, and um, communicate with them from 10,000 miles away, or uh, I mean, even further, like what happens when there are people on other planets and we wanna be able to communicate with them? Like we have to have a means to do that, you know, and it seems, I know it seems, we're talking about the metaverse, we're talking about other planets, and it seems like a crazy thing, but like, it's not anymore. Like it was, right? It was 10, 15 right. years ago. Like in 20 years, like we're gonna have people on other planets we're gonna wanna communicate with, and we're gonna wanna communicate with them in a seamless way that's believable, and we're gonna need to do it in a way that's across space and across time, right? And um, and and in a way that I think machine learning enables us to do and holographic displays enable us to do in the way that we can walk up to those displays or be immersed in those environments and go, yeah, I believe this. And that, to me, that's what the human experience is about, is about, not just how do we talk to people here and now, but how do we talk to people who are so far away that we can't pick up the phone or that we can't actually get on a plane and go see them. Um, and that to me is where, you know, I don't know if Facebook's thinking that far in the future, Meta's thinking that far in the future, but like, that's where this is heading, right? Like the inevitable is that, that there will be people or other species, right? That we need to communicate with that are at millions of miles away. And the only way to do it is to right now focus on how to sell believability in a user's experience with another user who isn't really there and that is for me is what the metaverse is about lovely phil, phil so i mean thank you 
for being so open because you know, I mean there's a lot of time I guess people hold back because you know, I mean when you talk out about the far out future I mean you go into the woo woo crazy zones so normally people kind of avoid that but yes I, I guess you know we need to be open and start tinkering around and laying those building blocks and, and being so brave enough, enough and having a foresight that what you are doing today is, is going to be building the future so yes super exciting space Bollywood I mean it, it's like one of the biggest uh film production you know in the world we produce a whole lot of films is there any plans for lakshmakina consulting to you know have some engagement here in bollywood and what and do share some light maybe you know the to the listeners that how maybe lakshmakina consulting can enable or uh, you know bollywood filmmaking over here yeah so absolutely um we're actually actively looking for people to partner with on joint ventures um around the world and we'd love to find a partner who wants to open a, a considerable size stage in in um in india especially in your you know in a, in a region in mumbai or whatever in a region that helps bollywood really you know um because we think that we can do a couple different things we think that we come from a place where we can enable storytellers we also think we can lower the barrier of entry for the technology um and so yeah we are actually actively looking um for a for a partner um so, so if there's anyone out there who's listening who's interested feel free to email me it, it's a p galler at luxmc.com um and and um we'd love to have a conversation about how to partner to to build a stage um uh, of some size and um it could be just a simple process car stage it could be an led volume we are we 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 really want to find a way to do this so we think that a honestly bollywood's an untapped market for us um so there's a business opportunity and that's important for the growth of obviously what we're doing but i think more importantly we think that there's um to our earlier discussion right there's a whole generation of storytellers who can tell new stories and we want to enable them to have access to the technology. Um, and whether it's green screen and virtual cameras or LED or projection, it's almost immaterial. It's just like, let's just get the technology moving. And once the technology is moving, that train is going and people will get on it and they'll get off it sometimes and that's okay. Um, but um, if they can't even get on the train, we can never help them get closer right. to their destination or telling the story they want to tell. I would love to partner with anybody who wants to, to find a way to build the studio and um, and uh, yeah, how we can enable um, that work to get done. We'd love to do that. Technology is a double-edged sword. You know, it's got so much goods and it's got a few bads. And the goods have always been loaded because if not for technology, I don't think we would be sitting over here even having this conversation because it has enabled the world to you know in each and every space from education to healthcare to work and so on and so forth we are going into a world where virtual reality is becoming more and more realistic you know and then add to it there'll be layers such as haptic feedback which is going to enable us to touch feel the virtual world you mentioned light field we'll have volumetric videos and and there's artificial intelligence which is going to create a interactive storytelling you know then you know there is obviously that when people who watch black mirror they always look at the dark side but there's just so much of you know good things which the storytelling can enable go go all out maybe like 10 years into the future your prediction what the future of storytelling is going to look like the good and the bad <laughs> um let me start with the bad um so i think the future of storytelling i think is is really the dynamic placement of advertising inside people's whether it's directly in their heads um or it's uh through you know augmented reality devices ar glasses whatever you want to call it um, or even in the internet, right? Um, in, in all of our viewing experiences will be the, um, 
the planting of ads that are closer than ever to being so specifically targeted to the individual user that they're indiscernible from reality. And I think that's that's where we're inevitably headed. And I think it's um, you know it's the Blade Runner of it all a little bit, right? Um, and I do I do think that's where we're headed. Uh, not think like that's where we're headed for sure. Um, uh, part of it's an inevitability is that uh, you know advertising is just is is one of the biggest economic machines in the world, right? And the uh, economic machines need to exist for a variety of reasons. And just one of them um, is advertising. And I think so uh, um, for me, that's sort of the, the downside of this is um, the closer we become to being seamless with the technology, the closer we become to being seamless with the advertising, which is a little bit scary. Um, and I think that's sort of the downside. Um, but I think the upside is actually the silver lining of that. It means that we have hyper-personalized experiences on the good side, right? hyper-personalized stories, choose your own adventures that aren't just choose your own adventures where I'm choosing an adventure from five options, but the adventures have been, the choices, the paths, right, have been dynamically generated based on me, myself, and I'm able to have an experience that isn't like I've chosen oh, A, B, C, or D. It's like I've chosen an A, B, C, or D that are completely different and made on the spot based on the emotional state that I'm in, based on where I am, based on um, who I'm with, who's around me, what other people are involved in the engagement experience that I'm having that enable us to have a completely unique experiences. Um, and I kind of think of it as a um, um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like it's this really weird, really weird throwback here. But like Dungeons and Dragons is this thing where like, uh, you know, you've got a, a, and I never played it, but like I understand like the concept at least is a game master, right? Who is helping to tell a story for a, a set of individuals. and no two stories is alike right play i think on a board and um it's a dice-based game obviously preaching to the choir i imagine a lot of people know what dungeons and dragons is right but in my mind it's this idea of it's the modernization of that it's a technology technologization of that not a word but like the bring that into the future right is this idea that um storytellers are able to dictate that story so responsibly to what we're doing that they're able to reach directly into the moment in time in which we're interacting with their story and change something right so that i can be having an experience and someone is saying oh you're not actually in that forest anymore maybe your neighbor's in that forest and he or she's having that experience but you're actually on a space station because you've been really fascinated about space stuff recently we think that's gonna um evoke a more emotional response um with the scary thing that's about to happen right um and um and i think it's that um that the dungeon master the game master of it all right that enables us to um tell super responsive stories that are um tweakable in the moment and that's something that we just don't have right now um it's just like just not something that we've done i think that's a huge part of what machine learning enables us to do right we were able to maybe give it a, a set of guidelines and then feed it with demographic data about a user and that enables it to help craft a story and decide when to make decisions about when to change the story and right now we use a lot of machine learning to make decisions about how to do things about stories that are already told instead of about how to tell stories um, and i think that's um, where I see the future is like we get into that level of narrative is super, super hyper um, uh, specific to the individual user um, down to like emotional state and stuff like that. Lovely, lovely. How cool is that? Phil, thank you for sharing your insight and being part of the podcast. I mean, really appreciate you doing this. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, then please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. Thank super. you so much for having me.